0: Here's a Japanese sandman Sneaking on with a you Just an old second sandman. Cool,
1: okay, so hi everybody uh, You are very welcome to the What Would the Smarty, Smart Party Do?
0: Smarty.
1: Seminar for idiots with guests So um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming uh, I'm Baz, I'm co-host of the What Would the Smart Party Do? Uh, podcast. Uh, on my immediate left is my good friend Gaz. Hello Gaz. Hello. How's it, Gaz. it going?
0: Very well, thank you. We don't normally do this in the same room. This is no, a, it's bit a bit weird. Busy. Can you go stand over there or something?
1: <laughs> You're a lot taller than I thought you were. How <laughs> <slightly> wider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on my right I have, from the good friends of Jackson Elias, without his good friends, Mr Paul Fricker. Hello All Paul. on my own. Hello. How's Hello. it going? Yeah, going well, yeah. Enjoying the con? So far so good. This could be the high point though. And on my far left... We have from the Grognard Files, from a great community and another podcast, we have Dirk the Dice. Hello Dirk, how's it going? Hello oh, Baz. it's going really well, thank you. have awesome. not spent anything yet.
0: <laughs> what? I yeah. know, yeah, well. This, the crowd
2: didn't like that. Did you you know, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you pretend you've got go down
1: well? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at this crowd, there might not be much left to buy. Yes. I have a feeling it's all gone. OK, so if you are here to find out some hot tips on how to GM at conventions, you are in the right place. Well done. If you're not here for that, stick around anyway. Um, we'll do a bit of Q&A at the end if we get some time, which I'm sure we will. Um, and what we're going to do is just kick off really with some of our experiences, I guess, through GMing conventions for years, decades in some okay. cases. Um, we've been running games for, well, since the 80s, I suppose, when conventions were not quite in this kind of venue with this kind of like, level of production values shall we say. So what I was going to do, guys, is uh, can we kick off with, like, what are some of the best con experiences we've ever had, either as a GM or as a player? Either side of the screen will do. What's worked really well in our history so far? Guys, you want to kick off?
0: <laughs> that, that's a dangerous question to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> that's something I'm a bad convention experience I want okay. to kick off. Uh, yes, uh, I think uh, one of the... Someone's waving at me. Hello. it's right here, right
2: here. You, you found really? it
0: bring your friends <laughs> <laughs> roll perception <laughs> yeah so i think uh, there's a lot of focus sometimes on how to jam about having cool bling uh, massive gem screens handouts all the rest of it and one of the best uh, adventures i think we went through was a delta green one which was run entirely from behind the screen and it was just someone's like shoulders and head but they managed to produce about 20 different characters including like doreen the secretary for mi5 right through to a uh, priest of Nell and all the rest of it. Which just goes to show that you don't when we say prep in games, I don't think you need to have tons of stuff printed out. You can do it if you like, I'm not saying don't do that. But it's all about the game and the people that are there. And if you can engage people and get people to engage with you, that's what gem is all about really. And of course the gem is just another player. So you need to make sure you're having fun. And that gem seemed to I don't, I don't know whether they did it or not, because they played 20 different people, but all the twenty people seem to be having fun. I think that's the important <laughs> bit. Cool. Paul, best con experience for you?
3: Well, I'm going to zoom in on a particular time at conventions, and that's if you go to a a long convention, like, oh, I like this one, or Gen Con, or something like that, and you're looking at Sunday morning. Now, I love Call of Cthulhu, and I love, like, serious horror games and gritty things, and there's, you know, things going on and things to investigate. I'm not sure I want to do that at 9am on Sunday. (laughs) So I look for Tunnels and Trolls, because Tunnels and Trolls... I've signed up for like three convention <laughs> Tunnels and Trolls games <laughs> and they've great. all been great. Uh, they've been kind of silly and light and fun and I've had a great time with them. They're not the kind of thing that I'd play, well, Saturday evening, that'd be called included, but Sunday morning, if I'm up, it's going to be Tunnels and Trolls. Cool. Keep it light on a Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. Keep it easy. Yeah. Don't, don't be too ambitious. Cool. Dirk, con gaming experiences for you? Well, I'm here a bit of a false prospectus,
2: really, because uh, I only started going to cons about four years ago. So it's had decades of experience. Sue me. You know. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I, three years ago I came to this con and I played a game with Ian Cooper, who did um, Hero Quest. And you tend to admire the people who can do things that you think you wouldn't be able to do. And I think uh, what Ian uh, has a real ability to do is to weave a story and uh, with rich detail and you throwing in bits and he's kind of it's like a narrative experience uh, that i've never experienced before and that really shaped um, my outlook on uh, games for the last three years and because it's like it involves a bit of oral uh, storytelling a bit of performance Uh, if you get a chance to
1: play uh, with Ian, i recommend you do it So con gaming can be the best gaming in the world, but it doesn't always go to plan. So there have been some pretty awful experiences at cons as well. Um, My good friend Jules is in the front row, hello Jules, you might remember this one. Uh, Once, I think this was in the 90s, probably was, I can't remember it that well. I did manage to convince all my friends to sign up for a game of Team Fun D&D. And that was on the basis that we'd be able to sign up as a team instead of being sectioned off. There was a time where you weren't allowed to play with your friends at cons. (laughs) because that would be seen as cheating. So you had to get a game separately each. And also it was quite competitive and tournament based as well. So the idea of team fun was I said, come on, let's come and play D&D. It'll be casual game. It won't be too competitive. We'll all be able to play together. It'll be a right laugh. And when we got handed our character sheets, I'm really sorry if the GM is here for this today. It's possible. (laughs) Uh, My character was uh, a clanger I think Georgie played Bagpuss. Uh, there was Professor Yaffle, and someone got Danger Mouse, which is actually a little bit overpowered, if you ask me. I mean, that was pretty good. And our job was to break out of the children's uh, toy cupboard in the in CBBC. It wasn't a bad game, but it was a really good example of like delivering what's expected. We the, the bait and switch stuff doesn't always go down well in conventions, and. And unfortunately, when you're writing your game at home and you think this is going to be hilarious, when they think they're playing vampire, but instead it's going to turn into a cartoon, it doesn't always sit well with the people who paid money to be there. Um, you had any terrible experiences by any chance, Gaz, at conventions? <laughs>
0: Many. Lock the doors again. Let's <laughs> yourselves in. Uh, I think one of the good things you can do as a gym, certainly at conventions, is try and facilitate the players, allow them to do stuff. There's lots of things at the minute about yes and, yes but, we don't just like stop people doing things. You say, yes, you can do that, but here's a consequence of that kind of stuff. At a time we were playing, I think it was a werewolf game set in London, and we'd come across a moon bridge, so this like through astral space kind of thing, landed in London, you're in Hyde Park, how'd you get out? Said the gym, well, we'll find an exit and get out. Yeah, but how do you find that? Well, we'll just walk along a path, how do you find a path? It's like, well, we'll pick a direction. If we hit a fence or a wall, we'll put a hand against it. We'll walk around until there's like a gate. OK, now what do you do? Got the bus, how do you find one? We'll ask some of the bus stop is. How do you pay? With money. And it was just like, <laughs> you're all laughing now. That was like an hour, like this, was, this was in real time. So if I've got any advice for you, it's like, don't try and put barriers in the way, especially if they're not going to be fun. You know, if people are just saying, I want to do this. If you can't think of anything interesting that might happen as a consequence of rolling dice or not doing that, just let it happen and move to the stuff where there's fun or challenge or something like that. Cool. Paul, terrible experiences at con games?
3: I think that you know when it's terrible experience when you try and kill your character <laughs> and somehow you can't even do that even when it's like you're in a spaceship and you're trying to get out. Kiri knows what I'm talking about, we shared this experience together. Now we're probably going to say as a panel well you know you should talk to your players and, and if if you're not really enjoying the game you should say i'm sorry mr gm or mrs gm I, I this isn't really for me do we do that do we do that gaz i think i'm the only <laughs> person I who s- does that i <laughs> seem to recall you wandering up a certain corridor and in during a break and trying to make the
1: break as long as you could because you didn't want to go back to that game <laughs> uh, um, we do have safe words <laughs> that we can text each other if the game is that bad <laughs> i guess
3: as gm because this is what it's about gm in advice kind of watch your table and watch people, and if they are disengaged and looking at their phone and have a look of horror that they actually want to flee out of the room but feel glued to their chair, you know, give them a, a way out. Sort of say, are you actually enjoying this? Is this working for you? Because sometimes people, at the end of the game, you think they've had a terrible time, and they say, oh, that was great, I really enjoyed that. And you're like, well, you didn't look like you were. <laughs> but, so, yeah, so, you know, speak to them and say, it, if you get the feeling that the players feeling that because they may not feel that they can sort of say because once you're invested for an hour or two there's kind of a you almost feel an obligation to stay there I'm sure that's something many of us have felt even though, you know yeah, it's going
0: to get better and it doesn't it's important as well when you have games to remember breaks because you might not need one but your players might but that's also a good opportunity to check in Mm-hmm. so it might not be an all or nothing your players want to leave it could just be they're not quite enjoying the pacing or the theme or whatever so if you have a break about an hour an hour and a half in you can just sort of like course correct you can check with people yeah. and say one-on-one as they're coming in and out for a break so say, oh, is it all right there more you want Is there something you're not going to focus whatever so it's good to have sort of breaks in as well so you can try and adjust so you don't completely lose a game and people aren't going to tell you I think yeah cool I tend to have a lot of breaks because of the uh, I'm an, uh,
2: yeah, an old man, I need them. One of my worst uh, con experiences, uh, we're going to go on to say how the con GM experience is diff- different. And I suppose one bit that highlights it is uh, one game I played, we spent three quarters of an hour at the end assigning experience points and bartering over treasure whether we can get a better value for the treasure. I'm never going to see these people again, I'm never going to play this character again.
0: Why, why am I doing this? So... Yeah, I think so. I've, yeah, I've had the, sort of the opposite of that At the start of our adventure Where we we're going to go somewhere And we we're going to get some money yeah. And then someone suggested that we should buy it for it I was like, no, no, it's fine We'll just take some money And the gym. Like, no, that's a great idea You need to roll for that <laughs> What, so we can get some more money? Like, I don't, I don't understand Some plus one And then we failed the roll It's like, no, you're just going to take some money like, oh, okay
1: We were once offered <laughs> as a reward A reward, with scare quotes For this god-awful game that we played in uh, we stumbled towards the end of it, and it didn't even reach a climax. And I was starting to think, God, we've been in for four very painful hours. It's not even reached an end. That's because the reward was that we got to play in part two, which is where yeah. the game was going to end, and we can come back for another four hours of the same because we've been so good. Yeah, you're all right, thanks, mate. Well, second prize, come back twice. <laughs> it was really awful. Um, okay, so con games can go wrong, but more often than not, they do go right, and they will definitely go right if you fold some of these top tips into the way that you prepare for your GMing experience at conventions, um, or forget about them because you've got better ideas yourself. So I think we've got some top tips from the panel. So, uh, Gaz, do you want to kick off with uh, your number one thing to do with con-GMing?
0: Yes, in media res. So we'll skip past the bit where you actually introduce yourself like a human and say, hello, I'm Gary. You can insert your own name there if you want to. You don't have to say, hello, I'm Gary. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, you've got your prep. You go through the character sheet, explain the rules, all that. But it's good to start in media res with some sort of action. If the players are going to go to a pub, speak to a wizard, he's going to try and convince them to go and go a caravan up to the old salt mines and they need to get some equipment first, all that stuff, skip it. Start at the salt mines with whatever kit they need, as long as it's reasonable. The wizard told you to go here, that's why you're here, and give them a clear mission. Uh, and start with some kind of action. It can be a little fight, it might be... If you're playing, I don't know, a Jane Eyre game, it might be that the characters haven't turned up or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a fight. But start with some kind of conflict or competition. And that gives you, first of all, the players are engaged. They've got something to do. They don't have to barter about getting some money or some more money to go on the mission that they're going to have to anyway or they're not going to have any fun. Uh, But it also gets into the system. They get to do something. They get to win. And straight away, your interaction. So my my first tip is, as soon as you can, get the players doing something. It's not about you standing there talking to them for half an hour. Yeah good advice. Paul?
3: I think look at the scenario you're going to run and think if the players don't do that thing that they need to do, you know, if they need to go to that old house and there's a choice of locations or if they need to put this MacGuffin with that MacGuffin before the game moves on at some point, how are you actually going to deal with that if the players decide to do something else? You know, because it's a con game. You've only got four hours. So what I look for in the scenario, and if it's not there, I try to put in, are elements that I can push towards a bunch of players if they're not really driving the game forward themselves. If they pick it up and improvise and run with things that I haven't expected, that's fine. It's, it's the, the game that flounders a bit that I need something that I can inject and push the game at them. So I want to see those elements on the page. And then, as GM, I'm happy to sit back and let them improvise, let them do whatever, because I know if it does start to flounder, I've got stuff that I
1: can push at them. Cool, so a list of kickers and bangs, I essentially. Yeah. To, if you want to use your, your technical terminology. Well, you know, right. all about the theory here. Yeah. Then. Not about the practice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doug.
2: I suppose building on what uh, Gaz and Paul have said, so you know, starting in media, res, have things to push forward. but. I like to use the analogy of uh, cricket, so the fundamentals of role-playing are the same, but you're playing on a different pitch and you're playing in a different circumstance. So it's not a test game you're playing, you're playing a Twenty Twenty game, so it's got to come to an end. Mm. And so the finale's got to be flexible and you've got to be per- prepared for the finale to find them, the final confrontation has to find the players rather than discovering it, because it, you're going to finish it in that four hours.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even before you get to your table, you need to have all of that in mind when you're preparing your scenario. Yeah. And I think, I think I'm going to be bold and say, don't have people generate characters at a convention. You know, bring those with you. It might sound obvious, but I've sat down before and been presented with the equivalent of a player's handbook and some dice and told to generate a character. And you think, really? I'd like to play the game. I mean, just get that bit done. Um, and of course, then in your preparation, you can make sure that your characters are going to fit that scenario, and the kickers and bangs and the, the little incitements that you have in the scenario are going to appeal to the characters that you've generated, because it isn't the same as your home game, is it? You no. you can't really kick back and put the kettle on and get some biscuits in and just go well, we've got all day. We'll play till we'll play right through the
0: night. That's rare. So you've got to get a lot of bang for your buck, haven't you? And that's all in the prep. Indeed, and our no game suffers from too much pace. Mm-hmm. If you listen to our podcast, and if you don't, why don't you? You'll have heard that before. And that's I've said starting media rares. and the guys have mentioned bangs and things like that, keep the pace up. And there's sometimes an expectation amongst GMs that if they're in a four-hour slot, they feel they have to give value for money, which means keeping people chained to the table for four hours because that's how long the slot is. Uh, and my experience and what players have told me and what I prefer myself as well is that push it, but like have lots of stuff happen. And if you get to your conclusion two and a half hours in, that's okay. Most people are happier having an action-packed, fun Balls to the wall, two and a half hours, and finish with a good conclusion and go, that was great, and get an hour and a half of the life back. Then someone trying to draw it out so you got your full money's worth. You know, one convention we've been to, some guy tried to give us two slots worth so that we got more value, but we had to pay for two tickets to play the one game stretched over eight hours. And that was like, you're not helping us. Like, I don't know whether, I think it was well intentioned, but yeah, uh, for me, start a media res, and then keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. And if the players are doing the pushing and, and want to do things cool, if they're not, make sure you keep things moving as well. That doesn't mean to say players can't interact or chat amongst themselves if they're having fun, but just be mindful of keeping things going, because you've only got one shot with these people, you might never see them again, so keep it going.
1: OK. Dirk, pace in games. Can there be such a thing as too much pace? I I don't think, I don't think there, there can be, although I have played a very
2: uh, low-level uh, Played one this morning, actually, very uh, very relaxed pace. But I enjoyed that as well. You know, it's a, it's a different experience. But um, yeah, I think, and you have to keep putting things forward, talking uh, to them. One of the things, uh, I, another tip, my my next tip is um, about anticipating uh, things rather than assuming uh, when you're bringing uh, people around the table that you don't know. I mean, when I'm not doing this, I'm a, a middle manager, so I facilitate about eight to ten meetings uh, a week, that's all I can offer the world. You know, <laughs> come the Armageddon, I'll be in the corner with a flip chart, you know, i be <laughs> beans. But somehow when the ASDA suit comes off, uh, and I'm round the table, I forget the basics. And one of the basics is not an assuming about uh, about people. Uh, and Gaz can uh, testify to this. I once did a game of Judge Dredd. And I started off saying, right, so in the world of uh, Judge Dredd, and there were three people around the table who had never heard of Judge Dredd. <laughs> Where's they been? <laughs> so uh, I've, I've taken it as a tip to myself to uh, be prepared that people may not know the setting and you may need to do a bit of uh, you know, background uh,
1: description before you get into it. It's, it's, a, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, my experience of running con games is that it's difficult to put a number on it, but I would say the majority of the people playing in my games have never played those games before they've played role-playing games, but people come for a demonstration of, of what it is you're about to do. I mean, guys in the audience, you do lots of one-shot games, don't you, mate? And, you know, if, would you be prepared to put a number on it? How many people know 13th age when they come to your 13th age games? Because I seem to be demonstrating quite a lot when I'm running the game. It's mostly demonstrating, yeah. Yeah. It's the majority of them, with all games, I think, unless you're in D&D or something. Yeah. Yeah, because at a convention, there's an element of like, I want to try something. I want to try something a bit different to what I get at home. You know, there might be that sci World game that you're never going to play at home, generally speaking. <laughs> so, you'd be, and if everything else has run out, you might have a go at it in a convention as well. <laughs> and then if it is any good, you might go and buy it afterwards. So, I think in the preparation, that anticipation part is going to be as well, is even if you're running Call of Cthulhu in the 1920s will there be people at the table who don't really know what Call of Cthulhu in the 20s is about? I say there probably will be. Mm-hmm. And if there's one of them, you can only move at the pace of the slowest person at the table. So you've got to make allowances for that and anticipate that you might need to do a bit of explanation for people. Is, have you found that, Paul? Yeah, I mean,
3: I guess one of the things about Call of Cthulhu is you can sort of say, well, it's just like the real world when you start. So I'm Buy in, you know, you don't need to know about who Judge Dredd is, or, you know, you don't need to know a fictional setting. You can kind of base it off the real world setting, so that's a makes it perhaps easier to buy into. But certainly, I think one of the things to do is look at the sign up sheets. If your game signed up at like nine a.m. last night when the con opened, say, and it's, it's scheduled to run on Monday morning, Sunday morning, then you know that those people were really keen. If you're running a game this afternoon and there are still slots left, and there are no other games available, chances are the people who've signed up for your game probably signed up because it was the only one available. So you're gonna have to work a bit harder to make sure they're on board with it, I'm, I'm figuring. Hmm. The other thing I was gonna talk about is, when I run games, I'm a bit nervous, because I sit down, I come to the con, and I sit down, and like there's a bunch of you guys that perhaps I don't really know, and, yeah, it's it's a bit nerve-wracking. But that's good. I like that. I mean, I remember we ran a game, Mike and, and Kiri and myself, we ran a, a, a game for several GMs, and one of them was so nervous he threw up before the game. <laughs> <coughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't quite go that far. But I like having a, a kind of a, a bit of a, a nervous buzz about running the game, because I think if you're going to do a con game... To me, it's showcasing what you can do. You should be on top of your game. When I'm at home running from a home group, I don't want to say that's second rate, but it's, they're there every week. I know them, it's a bit more casual. You know, we sit around and we have a drink and a chat. When it's a con game, it's, you know, it's showcasing. It, you should be on top of your game. Hopefully you've play tested it before, so you know that it's gonna fit into the slot, um, but yeah,
1: don't, don't, what do you think? Do you- um, broadly, I would absolutely agree, mate. It's, uh, in any kind of public life or your work, if you're going to do any kind of presentation or best man's speech or anything like that, the advice is always know your audience, which is the one thing you can't really do with con gaming. Mm. You don't know who you're going to get. You don't know the level of experience. Uh, you, you can make assumptions and you'll fall over those if you do. Uh, But you've got to be prepared to go with the flow of what happens at the table. You might get people who leave halfway through because they've got an appointment or an emergency or they've had the safe word texted (laughs) to them. Um, You just don't know what you're going to get. So trying to mitigate that risk is, I think, quite an important tip. And preparation is the key. And one of the things that I like to do at the start of a con game is to do the, the normal human stuff of telling people what my name is. And asking them what their name is, because I'm probably going to refer to them as like that duck paladin for the next four hours. So it'd be nice to know that they're really called Alex, um, because, you know, there are people that I've had really intense role playing experiences with, but I don't know who they are. And it's such a shame. And also one thing that I notice happens as some, sometimes a bit stealthily is that some of your six players that are arrayed in front of you, some of them might already know each other. So you might have like a you might have two brothers or you might have a daughter and a mum. You might have some little relationships that are already at the table. And that can be it's worth knowing if they already know each other. And if you find out that all six of them already know each other and you're the stranger at the table, then there's a whole different dynamic at play as well. So no matter what your preparation is, there's a lot of improvisation that's going to have to happen at the table and you haven't got time to muck about. You've got to get up on the front of the balls of your feet and go for it, haven't you? Mm. Because it will soon be over.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that it's, it starts from nerves to standing very intimidating, and I worried we might be putting people off. I think to pick up on the best man speech element of it is that actually everybody really wants you to succeed, and it's true. Sometimes yeah. you're at the front thinking, "I've got to run a game. I'm demonstrating they've never played this before. They're all friends. I'm the outsider." But actually, people are there to have fun. That's what they want to do. And if you do that human interaction bit first and say, what kind of game are you after? Have you played this before? What sort of thing do you do? Just a little, Because you quite often see on the internet, people go, oh, my players are doing X and I want them to do that. How do I make them do something different? You're not going to play the game they want to play because you can't turn the old tank around if six people are going the other way. But I think that just having the chat first, even if you're nervous, or you can even say, you know, I'm a bit, I haven't run that many games before at cons. Are you guys all right to help me out? And you get them on board with helping, and if you've got, I don't know, say you use cards for initiative, you get one of the players to take care of that for you, so they're involved in the game. If someone's struggling with ideas about what to do, you ask other players to help the other player out and say, well, what what would you do in that position and that kind of thing. So don't feel like you've got to take it all on yourself. There's six or seven people around that table and you're all equal. It's just that one person's got a slightly different role than the other six. Uh, Gaz gave that recommendation uh, when we played Savage Worlds, and he
2: said to, said to "I said, to, I'm struggling with the cards. I mean, to bring them back all the time." He said, "Get yourself a card monkey." <laughs> so I looked on Amazon. And, uh, <laughs> I went back to him. and He said, "Yeah, just get somebody on the table to do it for you." So yeah,
1: yeah it works. Paul, what's your other top tips for convention gaming?
2: I think.
3: You know, reading the table, looking around, who's at the table, who's having fun, who's looking like they're not really engaged—that—that um, that seems to be a, a key thing for for GMs to do, really. I mean, it's, it's that that sort of applies um in any game. Um, what else have I got on my list? I've got a big list of tips here, and I'm looking through them. I think we've, we've covered a lot of
2: things. Cool. Take a break.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um.
2: I'm going to say, pre-gem, your pre-gens, so pre-generated characters are key uh, to your game. 80% of my prep for a con game are the pre-generated characters, because it, as a player, that's your way in. When you, when you uh, appear at a table, you want to quickly assess, how am I going to get into this game? What, uh, what's going to be my role in here? Um, that's not set to overburden people with lots of information, because um, that can be too much. Um, but going back to uh, Guy, Guy's uh, recently written a, a post on his blog, Burn After Reading, Running, burn After Running, about uh, the, the three uh, the three elements. So I put three elements that you know are going to crop up in the game where somebody will get some spot spotlight time. So if, you know, if there is good, we safe, if There's going to be a safe. Make sure a safe appears in the uh, in, in the adventure so that they they can come into it. Um, and the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, recommendation I can give is don't forget your character sheets when you're leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> so that side World game I'm running this
0: afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your crayons. <laughs> you should have seen that coming. <laughs> well, talking, talking of time machines and things like that, um, a phrase I use sometimes is retcon. And I, I think that's something that people are a bit frightened to use, especially if you're demoing a game, you don't want to go back. But actually, if you do something and it doesn't seem to land well, just go, sorry guys, that, was, that didn't work out right. Shall we try it again? Shall we try something different? Or if someone's partway through doing something and going, oh, I actually don't want to do that. Like, Don't be worried about slightly pausing the game just to reset or move back a scene or let them do something. As long as you keep the flow going, I think that's fine. Some people are a bit worried about, I'm down in this game, so I have to run it as written, I have to get the rule right, I have to flip through my book every time there's a question. Don't worry about it too much. Go with your gut on what seems sensible. And if it's not quite working, you can always just go... Sorry, guys. Kind just do that again, or let a player redo an action if they feel they need to. So uh, again, it's not setting stone. Don't feel like you're on this jugging over train with all the pace you started in media res. You're rushing forward. I can't stop it. You can actually just occasionally stop in a station and put the water back in the engine and all the other stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let me throw out some questions to the panel as well. Uh, let's see what you would do in these current in these situations. Just as a starter for ten, really. Is it okay to show up at a convention to GM a game that you don't really, you're not super confident with how it works and you maybe only got a sketch of an idea for a scenario? What do you do if you, if you find yourself underprepared? Or is that freeing? Is that something that you would be looking forward to doing? How much, how much do you feel you need to have ready before you sit down?
3: I've sat down with a GM that has done just that. Um, And the game crashed and burned about halfway through. Mm. And we thought we were sitting down to a proper con game. When I say a proper con game, something that somebody prepared and was going to run for the full slot. And, you know, that wasn't it. And afterwards, the GM said, well, it was, you know, it was a kind of play test based on this game that isn't actually published yet, that somebody's put out. And, you know, I was kind of just improvising it. Yeah, but you didn't say that on the sign-up sheet. If you say... Uh, this is a kind of improvised game. It's something I'm play testing. I don't really know if it's going how it's going to go. So we're going to very much depend on what you guys do at the table on the sign up sheet. Fine. Full disclosure, I can choose whether to sign up for that or not. But if I'm signing up for a con game, I expect it to be you know, well prepared and the GM to know the system and know the scenario. That's my bottom
0: line.
1: Mm.
0: Okay, guys. Uh, I think you need to prepare so that you're comfortable with what you're running. Uh, there's a lot of Germans who think they're good at improvising who I would uh, have a discussion with about whether they think they are good <laughs> at improvising, <laughs> including myself sometimes. But yeah, um, when we talk preparation, a lot of people say, well, I don't like doing pitches and making pretty like so That's not necessarily what I mean. Mm-hmm. You can prep for a scenario by when you're in the shower, driving to work, whatever, and think about what might happen, what are the buddies going to be doing while the players are messing about? What What could this scene look like? So your prep might actually just be a series of bullet points about things you think how it might go or what you could do to push things along a little bit. So prep doesn't mean getting your slide rule out and drawing things and cutting pictures out or anything like that necessarily. It's just preparing yourself so that when you sit down, you're reasonably comfortable with what's going to happen and you've got enough in the bank to kind of keep things going. And as we've said before, it doesn't have to be the full four hours. So if you can provide something good for about two, two and a half hours and then you're thinking... I'm flagging it, I don't know where this is going. Like, Just take it to a conclusion, because people won't thank you for trying to push through when you're, if you're floundering yourself. Players will smell your fear. Like, Dirk, don't, don't. <laughs> how much preparation do you do for your conslots? I do far more for
2: uh, conslots than I do for anything else, uh, as anybody will tell you. Normally, I just uh, jot a few things on a post-it note, but for a conslot... As Paul said, it's a performance, isn't it? You're playing with st- strangers. Uh, they may not accommodate your shortcomings in the way that your friends do. So you have to uh, present yourself at the best you can be. Mm, and,
1: yeah. and that means doing preparation. And, there's a, and let's be honest, who doesn't like doing a bit of crafting exactly. and making a bit of gamer bling? And you may not use all that preparation. You may,
3: not, you may use about 10% of it. That's fine, um, but it's there if you need it. Um, and if you've got a great group of players who run with stuff and improvise, we're not talking about, I don't think any of us are talking about like, having something set in stone and your players are going to do what you want them to do.
1: Um, but <laughs> This telegram know. took me four hours, you're going to read it.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love the smell of a laminator in the morning. Because, uh, no one's changing my plans now because they're set in plastic. Um, okay, uh, here's another one for you then. So how do we feel about running a published scenario at a convention? Because we all purchase published scenarios, probably quite a bit, or collect, or write them in in some of our cases. I don't see too many of them on offer at conventions. It seems to be there seems to be a feeling, and you guys can tell me whether I'm right or wrong on this. That if you've not written it yourself, you've not done it properly. So, is it okay to show up and play Keep on the Borderlands, for example? What do you reckon, Mr. Fricker, writer of scenarios?
3: (laughs) (laughs) They seem to have a bit of a shelf life. I mean, I think my concern is that people are perhaps going to forget what they've played no offense if the person is in the audience but i've got a call of cthulhu scenario sat on board it's basically moby dick it's an adventure at sea are there many of those around because uh one player signed up for it a second time not realizing that he played it before and i'm like well well wow. <laughs> fair enough but you know it's not like that's a common trope um, so my anxiety on that, it's not so much playing published adventures, it's just running adventures that I ran, say, four or five years ago, because I'm concerned that people might have played those and forgotten and sign up for it again. So I kind of feel, well, I can't run something I ran three or four years ago, I need to be running something fresh that I've written for this year. Mm. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. Give me another chance to get it right.
0: Well, maybe. What will die There's no hope for that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with it. Uh, for me, personally, when I've talked about prep and thinking about what you're doing, I think if you've written your own scenario uh, or guidelines, then you'll know that better than trying to remember what's in a book. And it'll say if you're reading the scenario at the table and trying to get it right or anything like that. So feel free to do that. But I think generally games run better when it's your own stuff because you know it better. That's the simple thing. Uh, another thing for me personally, I like writing my own stuff because then if someone likes the game and wants to try a scenario, they can go and get the published one and they... They've not seen it before, and if they've got friends at the table, that gives them the opportunity to play the published stuff rather than the rubbish that I presented to them earlier. Mm. Okay. Don't you uh, home
2: brew Uh I run a lot of uh, pre-done uh, stuff because I usually uh, use stuff that's been in White Dwarf or Imagine and uh, resurrect it. But when in that resurrection, I pick up some of the things that we've said previously about adapting it, making sure that there's bangs in there, it might bring it up today, date um, so that you can run it mm. um, effectively. Because some of those old ones um, are poorly written. Um, <sighs> you, I, they are, I'm sorry, but they are poorly written. So you have to kind of uh, inject in them, uh, either through the pre-gens or uh, through putting some
1: additional material in there to bring them to life. Mm. Okay, so if you're getting towards the end of your conslot for one reason or another, I mean, as you've said, if you can get to a nice and I said it doesn't matter when it happens. How good should people be at spotting the conclusion of an adventure? How much writing should go into that in the first place? Is it acceptable to know how the scenario is going to end? Or do you want to leave yourself plenty of room for manoeuvre and, and put that to the table? Um, how much railroading is acceptable in a con game as opposed to perhaps at home?
0: I don't think you necessarily have to have a conclusion in mind. Right. So you're not there can't be a railroad because you don't know where you're going (laughs) to a degree. I mean one one of the ways I like to write scenarios at the minute is a bit more sandboxy. So there'll be villains and things happening and locations and a map, maybe people can look at point, I wanna go there, I wanna do this. And then things will happen in my head, what I'll have a timeline of what's going to occur unless the players stop it. And ideally the players get involved and speak to people and find clues and fight people and whatever else and stop it and you get to a reasonable conclusion. But if you don't, you've kind of got that ticking clock of The villains plans are going to come to fruition it should become more and more obvious as the hours tick by that something bad's happening and you're the people that's supposed to be stopping it and you're not because you're busy shopping for macy's or whatever it is that you're doing so i think have our conclusion in mind but don't tie yourself to it if something cool needs to be coming along and then afterwards pretend that's what you planned all along anyway Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. that's i think that's precisely it you know going back to what i was saying earlier you need to have in in mind that it's got to come it usually uh, Ends with some kind of uh, conflict or some kind of uh, resolution. You don't have to have it pre uh, ordained, but you need to make sure that it finds the players um, before you run out of time.
1: <coughs> and in Call of Cthulhu, we all know how they end.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in a one shot, there often is. I mean, I could compare the, the scenario to a dungeon. You know, you travel around the dungeon, but there's only like one door out. So at the end of the Call of Cthulhu scenario, you may end up in a similar place in that scenario each time, but by the time you come out of it, you know you don't know if your internal organs are still your own. Let's say, um, or they've been replaced by something else. So different things are going to happen along the path, but it may, in a you know, in a con game, it may sort of funnel towards us the same kind of destination. Uh, and I think that's you know that's fine because a con game, you have got to, you know, you've got to know that you can deliver an experience in, in three or four hours. So it has different requirements
0: to a you know an ongoing home game. Hmm. And don't worry, I would say, as well, if you're overrunning, I, I, as I keep banging about pace, 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 make lots of stuff happen quick, quick, quick. I know a lot of GMs end up struggling to get the scenario to last within that four hours. So if you get into like three, three and a half hours and there's lots of scenes left and lots of resolve, like because you've had that human interaction, introduce yourself to the players and got them on board, you can say to them, like, let's have a quick break. I'm just conscious of time. We need to get to the end. Are we all right if we just skip to this bit. So don't be frightened of just speaking to people and go, look, we're not going to fit it all in otherwise, so can we just fast forward things and smash cut to the the cool bit at the end? Mm. That's perfectly acceptable. I've
1: certainly experienced in con games and and sort of like looking at the GM's notes across the table, if the con game's running from, say, noon till four o'clock, and you can see that they've got a schedule of events that are going to happen, and the bad guy isn't going to do something until 215 And if it's quarter to two and your plan says it's not happening until 2.15, you're not being flexible enough. It's like you're not going to... It seemed like a good idea, I'm sure, at the time to, like, in your notes go, Oh then in the final hour I'll do this reveal. You know, although preparation is key, you're not running a TV show and you're not reading your novel to people. It's an interactive experience and there has to be some give and take. Mm. And I'm sure people would rather reach a conclusion than be left on a cliffhanger when they may not ever be coming back again.
3: Yeah. Okay. And if it's a relatively open-ended conclusion, you can just kind of, you know, oh, we're about time up here, we kind of feel like we've reached a resolution here, let's go around the table and see what, a very short, you know, 30 seconds, what happens to your character, what happens to your character, mm. rather than you just sort of say, all right, that's it, let's go, mm. you yeah, know, it's nice to just get closure for each character, and that could be like a unique thing for each player. Okay.
1: Okay, so that's, that's our experiences and most of our top tips. We've got many more, and we've got some fairly appalling war stories, but you'll need to buy us pints to hear those ones, because <laughs> if, if this is being recorded, I really want to be committing slander. No. On <laughs> a permanent record. Not after last time. <laughs> not after, no, no, not since the restriction order's been lifted. Um, okay, we would love to get some questions from you guys, uh, questions, comments, or your experiences of, of how you've experienced con gaming um, if anyone's played a really cool con game at this event so far, I'd love to hear about that. So, uh, I might have to stand up a little bit. There's a hand there. Hello, sir.
2: Hello. Uh, you talk a lot about the standard RPG convention games that's all for all long. Uh, I often find myself GMing games in, like, family-friendly game festivals. And it's, like, 30-hour time slots or open tables where people can sit down for five minutes, play as a meals and have a rolling cast. Do you have any advice for those
0: two formats of game? Yeah, I'm sure we
1: do between us.
0: So who wants to pick that one up? Uh, Yeah, so uh, I'd have lots of cool scenes or events that you can run in 15, 20 minutes or something like that. And just let them, you know, have a big bag of them. You can just pull one out that kind of like dovetail together nicely. Whether it's walking through rooms of a dungeon or it's uh, on a road somewhere that you're traveling and there's a different counter in each village or maybe tax collectors or something like that. And each little place you go to is going to have something different. I just have a rolling effect like that. So, each point along your start kind of one guy's got off, he's got enough money now, he's been paid. But you pick someone else up in the tavern, he wants some work or something like that. So, uh, rather than thinking of a long arc, I think of lots of cool little one shot bits. What's a nice set piece like you have in films? And just keep chunking them up. So, people who are playing the game keep getting lots of different flavours, so they're excited. Um, people can drop in and out as necessary.
1: I've got to say that um, we say four hour game because I think that's just like the industry standard. Um, personally i'd love it if the standard was two hours and we could get more slots in a day because four hours of something that maybe is falling a little bit flat is is half a day gone i'm not quite sure why we ended up with four hours as the standard but it does seem to be that way Mm. um and, and and we've talked before about sometimes there's a pressure to deliver four hours of entertainment when arguably maybe less would be more but equally there'd be people who want to play for six or eight hours and there's a, there's a long con that mm. we've been to where people will play the same game over a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday and there'll be a certain level of satisfaction with that but you know the idea of chunking is, is definitely the way forward to, to put together little pieces episodes where there's convenient stepping on and stepping off points along the way It could be a tough gig to plan, but nothing's ever wasted, because if you didn't use it this time, you'd use it in a future scenario. Yeah. It's funny how these uh, conventions about conventions
2: emerge, isn't it? Because the other thing is about the number of players. Mm -hmm. So it seems to be that six has
1: become standard.
0: And
2: I think six is probably... Six is a lot, though, isn't yeah, yeah. it? Yeah,
1: too, too many. Two too many. Yeah. <laughs> too, too many. <laughs> and if you are preparing your game, never mind writing the scenario, generating six characters is the meat of this. It, it takes yeah. forever, doesn't it? Does. it? Yeah. Uh, and you're sitting there having lonely fun trying to generate six characters and, and your printer's like got smoke coming out the back of it. <laughs> yeah, that can be a, a tricky bit of the job. Thanks for your question, sir. Uh,
2: Graham? A slight counter to what
1: you're saying. I, mean, I think generally speaking pre-gens are absolutely
2: essential. You know, if you're doing CNS second edition majors, you're going to want to put them <coughs> up front. But um, some, of my be- some of my best gaming experiences have been with Power by the Apocalypse games, which are playbook based, uh, or indeed Iron Swarm, which uses uh, cards as assets. And actually, the um, the, the sort of creation of the characters together around the table can actually generate a really good game and get you going on a, on a, on a whole track you would never have thought of. Mm. So there are just some example games where actually that can be a really good thing to do, but you've got to be very, very cognizant of that going into it.
0: So, yeah, I think one good approach for people sometimes is making half-finished characters, and I think that's why Apocalypse World-type games work well, because you've got a player sheet, you just take some options, so there's less... So anything that's light on the players having to work out what to do I think exactly right Uh, and you're right that if you can get the players talking amongst themselves about why they're together and what they're doing that can give you more bite into the game there's also
1: thanks to the power of social media and technology there's it's it's usually acceptable these days and dirt runs a virtual grog meet where he'll get guys together for online gaming like a little mini festival players and gms can talk in advance of the game and, and doing that character generation which is so important in your home game can be done in advance of a convention slot even a place like this where you're buying a ticket and you're rocking up it is possible to get a bit of prep work done and it's really valuable stuff if you can do that together
3: and i feel there's a bit of a positive in that creating characters together quickly i mean i'll sort of give it like 10 minutes to to get that done because if i've got to read the background and oh you're that one and, and he's that one i've got to sort of get all that in my head whereas if we're doing that at the table and you're saying oh well we'll be brothers and you know we don't like you and you kind of—that's all stored in my sort of short-term memory then, because we just created it. So I've used the, the Call of Cthulhu, um, the, like the quick character generation uh, for the last scenario I did at a con, and that was just like 10, took ten minutes to create characters. Uh, so I just did like a little handout: there's how you do it, and we did it pretty quick. So covered by the apocalypse is that one
1: of those new games yes know? mate yeah, you were oh, sleeping yes. you you yeah. you'll, you'll be
3: covering yeah. them on your show in
1: about you know, 20 years, years. <laughs> you'll be buying them on ebay for outrageous sums of money uh, yes sir can i see you there yeah.
2: um, <coughs> if you wanted a game um it's based on an established system not like kingdom of Dungeons, where the millions i pay it <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, okay. even the author <laughs> <fight at
2: all. laughs> how do you handle that one player who knows the system inside and out and turns into a bit of an
1: alpha player and oh, yeah, yeah the, the guy who knows the canon better than you do and is yeah. absolutely looking for the opportunity to tell you that the Lunar Empire didn't exist in that particular <laughs> square at that particular time what yeah. year is it? Uh, yeah. If that if, if the first question in the con game is what year is it, you know you're on a sticky wicket, I tell you. Because
0: your answer should be it doesn't matter. Leave now. Yeah, so get um, get people on. we mentioned before about getting the players in, involved. So what you, you can try and do is just get them to help out. Uh, and so you can explain like, you know, if you've got some law you want to bring in or some cool bits, that's that's great. But if you can keep it short just so we can keep people involved and can you explain to this guy what's going on and can you tell this guy about their character and try and turn them into a bit of an asset because really what generally i find is what to do is tell you how much they know and you've got to stop that being you play a gm telling me or no, and tell other players they so just got to monitor it to make sure they don't get too crazy and spend half an hour explaining the history of the world or something but you can twist them sometimes to be a bit of an asset and help people with rules or whatever it might be so that's one way of doing it and if they're going too much you might have to just say I know you're really excited, but cause there's five <laughs> other people around this table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Best
3: well, way is probably publish your own game. Almost certainly. <laughs> oh, <they're annoying. laughs> yeah. Uh, although, although, you... although there's all those rewrites <laughs> of the rules you did. Yeah. And then when they ask which rule is, is the right one, you're like, well, uh, I can't remember if we're using version one or two, or which one was yeah. the
1: final one. Do you find that buzz? I do you a do, lot. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and having spoken to people who've, who've written proper books, not like my rubbish. Uh, with big setting material in it and lots of stuff about whether it be Glorantha or Forgotten Realms or whatever, those authors are constantly being told how wrong they've gotten it by their own fans. And they wrote the book in the first place. So it is kind of bizarre, I mean, uh, and you run a lot of Cthulhu, which is set in the real world, and it's impossible to know everything about the real world, even with Wikipedia on your phone. i well, certainly setting,
3: yeah, I'm hopeless on, you know, <laughs> what's in the real world. <laughs> <or something, yeah. laughs> exactly,
1: so, you know, you can run up against people who tell you that you've just flat out wrong, and I think the way past that is to treat it like a little speed bump, really. It's going to happen, it's a bit inevitable, don't take personal offence at it, but just try and get back to the game. Um, and don't be too precious about your stuff if you, get, if you get called out and you've got something wrong and someone's got a better idea don't forget you're playing an interactive game where that's all part of the game that's the beauty of it it's the risk you run otherwise yeah be a novelist and then no one can tell you you've got it wrong well they will anyway okay and I suppose if you've got a dominant
2: player uh, it's being aware of uh, your positioning around the table and don't be afraid to move the table dynamic round so that's a middle management tactic that isn't it eh? so would you yeah, come we'd the, come the Armageddon. Um, <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Get up and
1: move. Yeah, get go up and sit move. down and yeah. stay there. If someone disagrees with you, get up and leave. <laughs> 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 to see how long Throw it takes Throw your take down. <laughs> Can I go right to the back of the room, please? So, uh, that, that would be useful. Uh, yeah. If you are reading carefully interlocked and
2: characters,
3: especially if they're plot related, consider what could happen when the player's drops out if someone will drop on the characters. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, that might wreck your entire
1: action now only say oh hang on x has got B.
3: which one going to pick yeah go for it yeah the so the question was
1: uh you uh, were yeah got and it what do you yeah.
3: Do your out?
1: fine okay so yeah got it Gotcha. Okay, so you've got a bunch of characters and you've seeded things into each of those characters. They're all essential and if one of them doesn't get played or gets lost or whatever, what happens to your precious scenario at that point? I think when I'm generating six interlocked
3: characters like that for a game, I kind of think, right, well, what if I've only got three players, then I use one, two and three. The fourth, fifth and sixth aren't as... The fourth one's not as locked in as the first three. The fifth one's not as locked in as the, fir- the first four and so on. So the, the sixth one is... You know, it's not redundant, if they're there, then they're playing an important
0: role, but, you know, I kind of prioritise. That's my approach. Yeah, and I tend to build in a bit of redundancy, so you'll have the main character you've got to focus for, but have a second best character for that idea as well, They you can feed a bit of information to what can pick up that role. Hmm. And,
1: and even if, uh, one experience I had, I was at fault with this one, is that the GM had put something on my character sheet, <coughs> which was absolutely essential to solving <laughs> the mission. Um, I just didn't even see it. I didn't know it was there. She was by, spy, were I didn't know there was stuff on the back of the sheet. That's amazing how often that will happen. I've been running off the front of my character sheet all day long, and I turn it over when I'm going home, and go, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I was married to her, was I? But this crucial piece of information, the GM was pulling his hair out thinking, come on, you dummies, you've got the answer. But it's not obvious, because to be fair, players don't read their character sheets. Uh, Because you know, you're probably speaking when they've sat down, they're introducing each other, and you're flicking through it. But you can't take in a great deal of information off the character sheet anyway. So, your your interlocked characters almost have to have disposable skills in them, they've got to be important but disposable. It's a tricky balance
3: and a few bullet points, yeah, not not like not a side of A4. Because that's I, 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 there's a GM I know that there'll be a lot of text, and I know when I read it. Half it's not going to come into the game anyway, so it's just like colour text. So Whereas when I first started playing those games, I thought, oh, I've got to try and take all this in. Now I'm a bit more relaxed, and I know, okay, that's cool. So a few bullet points, that's my advice. And no yeah. more. I think we've got time for one more. Yes,
1: sir.
0: Why do we feel like we have to use the character sheets that are the official ones? Because a lot of times you look at a character sheet, there's a lot of crap for a convention game you don't need. It has all the builds up, all the skills, and everything, if, if you've got a lot to read, why don't we just start cutting it all down and say, "This is what you need to know for the game. Here's the couple of notes. Get them nice and small, and just let the players focus on what they need to know. Rather than, oh, there's stuff in the back, or what, what's this mean? Well, that's your experience point. That's how you build to character. You don't need that. Yeah. The team has to say, don't need. So why do we do that? And is there any hints to, you know, is there any good games for that or anything? Resources already out there for some of the games that might have those condensed.
1: Sure. I mean, it, you're absolutely right because the character sheet that's provided for you in your role-playing game is tends to be a worksheet for you to generate your character for all kinds of event, eventualities, whereas the one that you need for your scenario, you just need to know what you need to know for that scenario. And I think, you know, going back to prep time again, GMs kind of love working with Photoshop. Some of us more than others and, and people will, will craft really nice little things. And, and I think probably sometimes we dispose of too many pre-generated characters that have been used and could be used for other things. Certainly, I'm I kind of at a bit of a loss as to why there isn't a really good storage area online for people to put these games that they're generating and the characters that they've done for these games before. Some central hub where you could go to look through other people's work and take it. Um, I'm a teacher in real life and I steal all day long other people's lesson plans because you don't you'd be mad to sit there yourself and write it yourself when someone else has done it 20 times but in the role-playing community people seem to be a little bit more precious about it i think that's a shame
0: yeah i think because we have got the internet you've got advantage that guarantee for every game someone else will have created more character sheets for it because the company's done it wrong i don't use that why do i need encumbrance So there's already a resource out there, and it depends how much you're into lonely fud about making your own character sheets. I frequently do. So if a game has lots of skills, I just put in the skills that the character's got and say, if it's not your sheet, you haven't got it. You don't don't need to read through three columns of text to work out whether you've got psychometry or something. You've got what you've got, and that's it. So yeah, I think it's a good point, but yeah. It involves sometimes people doing doing the work to make their own character sheets, and that can be a barrier. When When I said that I did 80% prep on uh,
2: pre-gens, 60% 60% of that is choosing the right font for the characters. <laughs> I do uh, lay them out. Another uh, thing to do as well is uh, putting equipment on um, cards, if you can, or spells on cards, so people have got them, and you can pass them around as well then. So if, you lend in each other, if you've got guns, you can swap guns and things like
1: that. So that's another top tip. Cool. Okay, have we got time for one more? Well no more one's ahead. hurrying us out, are they? We'll take one more. Uh, let's go, uh, someone with a black sleeve and I can't see who's underneath it. Hello. <laughs> um, so a lot of my
2: friends have experienced problems with like, harassment and people trying to like, oh, I won't, I won't let your character die if you, you let me buy you a drink, that kind of thing. Wow. And even GMs themselves get it to players. And uh, I was wondering what kinds
1: of strategies do you use to protect people and help them feel comfortable? Your GM
0: and your okay all right it can be it can be a bit of a pressure unfortunately uh, most of the time as GM uh, players will look to you as kind of like the social secretary for the group, so it kind of feels like people will wait for the GM to say something now if you are not as necessarily confident yourself, that can be a problem um, but again, if you have that human element of connecting the brain in the first place and, try, and establishing what kind of game you want to play and that kind of stuff, then you can recruit other people to help you say look mate you're not really gelling with the rest of the group the way you're going you can pull someone to one side uh you can use things like x cards so you can have them on the table and if something comes up that people don't like they can just tap the card you know to move on to something differently Uh, certainly uk games expo um, they've got a great team uh, and you can go to them without fear of being revealed who you are anything like that they will look into any kind of harassment or anything like that and act swiftly and decisively on it after a full and proper investigation so recruit other people Generally the organisers are on board, they will have a harassment policy and the majority of people that come to gaming conventions are actually nice and sensible and grown-up and they will help you if you ask. I think you covered
1: it. Yeah, it's absolutely covered. And uh, don't, you know, no, none of us are under, under any obligation to tolerate dickishness from anyone. And whether you've paid for a ticket or you're a big convention or a small convention or just playing at your local library, you always have the ability to stand up and walk away and I would use that a lot. I think, you know, sometimes we can all be a little bit polite and be a little bit like, oh, it doesn't really mean it, he just gets that way when he's had a beer. And it is always a bloke, isn't it, unfortunately? Um, Yeah, report, report early, report often. Don't tolerate these idiots because the community won't tolerate them. Mm. Hopefully they'll only do it the once and then they'll never be invited back to public spaces again. And that's what we need to do is throw a spotlight on this kind of thing. Difficult to do, absolutely appreciate. It's very difficult to speak up or put your hand up sometimes and we're getting better as a community at dealing with this stuff, but we've got a long way to go. Um, And unfortunately, because human beings are involved, there's some idiots around. Half of them are on this panel. (laughs) It's shocking that some of the
3: things you do hear that, you know, in terms of harassment, that do go on in some of the people's games online and so on, um, because I don't tend to to see that myself. But if that's happening, then like you say, that any decent convention has a harassment policy um,
1: and, yeah, like Gus says, speak to, to the staff and put it into operation. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the techniques that we've mentioned all through the day, um, they do help with that. That bit where you stand up at the start and you do tell people what your name is and you introduce yourself to everybody at the table and get everyone to like say hi and shake hands and stuff. People forget to do that, but it's mm. it's it's a bit more difficult to be an idiot to someone that you know their real name and you know that they know yours. Okay, but if you're like hiding behind your Barbarian character and acting like an idiot, that's not going to help. Right, guys, it looks like our time's up for today, so just want to thank you all so much for coming. Uh, I want to thank Paul from the Good Friends of Jackson Elias for giving us time. I want to thank Dirt the Dice from the Grognard Files. I want to thank my good friend Gaz, co host of What Would the Smart Party Do? And uh, more war stories available for the price of an arm and a leg in the bar tonight, <laughs> anytime after seven, we'll be happy to talk. So, been really good to catch up with you all, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Tomes.com. Oh.